served, to be loved and be served by this particular Xanax. Who would ever act so insane? Like who would ever paint their face and their chest and just sort of lose all perspective in their life over a sporting event? I don't get it. But we, we pray for them. We pray for them. But we, it reminds us of, of, of reality in, in our lives, that we were created to worship. That you and I, we are, we are looking for worth and pleasure in something outside of ourselves. And the reality is that we're all worshiping something. The question isn't if we are worshipers or not. The question is whom or what are we worshiping? And you go to, you see this at a concert? Like you see people, again, just losing their minds and screaming and all sorts of emotions rolling out because of T-Swift. Doesn't make sense to me, but it's there, Right? We see this in, in politics. You go to the Democratic or Republican National Conventions, and, and it looks like, if you just pan to the crowd, it looks like a super guy, human hands. What did we just sing about? The idols in our lives. It says they have mouths, these idols, but they cannot speak. That's just a hunk of wood or metal. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. And here's the psalmist's conclusion. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. This was an ancient Hebrew burn. It's really, really good. It's basically saying, those idols are dumb, and so are you, right? <laughs> but this happens, right? We know, we know this in reality. The more that I give worth to my sports team, the more that shapes how I dress. It shapes how I spend my time. It spends who I, who I spend time with. And, and certainly, and, and often cases, even more so with our political party, it shapes how I think, who I like, who maybe I very much do not like. It explains my emotions at times. So if you want to know, like, what do I worship? Just ask yourself, what shape is your life taking? Like, what stirs your emotions? What gets you super revved up? What, what consumes your time, your money, your energy? How do you act? Right? How, who are you spending time with? How do you, how do you categorize yourself? So... As we study Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we've seen that he's painting a picture of who we are as believers and how we should live. We said in the first three chapters, he said, this is who we are now in Christ. And he showed us in this, this beautiful, uh, eloquent way of just the, the richness of God's love and mercy through the finished work of the risen Jesus, that, that we've been raised from the dead and adopted into this new family where we are one. And then he said, therefore, if this is who we now are, then this is how we should live as that new family. In the last couple of weeks, we've been, as we've started chapter four into this back half, we've seen uh, that, that we've been called to unity as the body of Christ. And we saw last week that unity looks like us and all of our diverse gifts and backgrounds and experiences to help one another become more and more like Jesus. Maturity, not just as individuals, but corporately. And so now, Paul wants to answer the question, so what does that new life as one new family in Christ, very diverse, but one, what does that look like? How do we live that out? And he wants to start to begin answering that question in this passage. So we're going to look at, we'll have the Christian Standard, ver- uh, Christian Standard Bible up on the screen. You can follow along in, in your version in your lap. Uh, first of all, he reminds us briefly about the old way that we used to live in. Verse 17, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now here he's referring to those that were living outside of the covenant promises of God. Those are outside of Christ in this case. How do they walk? And it's not a favorable picture. Three things. He says, first of all, they're distorted thinking uh, from the truth. They have distorted thinking from the truth. 
another burn from the Bible, in the futility of their thoughts. That your thoughts, your thinking is pointless. It goes nowhere. That they are darkened in their understanding. And we know this. When people deny reality, it leads to foolishness, right? We have the, the flat earthers uh, who say, well, this is clearly, I mean, like, come on, right? Uh, or, or, or you believe, like, gravity, if you walked into a room and somebody's acting like they don't believe in gravity, like, that's a crazy person, right? And we, and we know, so when somebody is living as though they, if they are rejecting the existence of God, the authority of, of God, then they're disconnected from reality, and they're walking in darkness. Their thinking is futile. He also says that they're disconnected from their life source. Disconnected from their life source, he says in verse 18, they're there, this is in my heart too. See, the hardening of, of my heart, I don't know about you, but my experience is usually it's not just some one big bad sin. Like I was doing really good and just made this one really, really bad mistake. No, what I usually see is, is it's a result of my life making deliberate choices against the life that God has ordained for me. That I'm essentially ignoring his will, ignoring his way, ignoring any kind of authority he has in my life. And it always starts, it seems to always start so small. And I start justifying my actions. It's not that bad. It won't affect other people. Nobody will know. Yeah, but I deserve it. Yeah, but did you see they started it, right? I have all these excuses built up. And it's amazing the, the wrong in my life that I can call right. And again, it's a sm- series of small actions that pile up. Life is a long obedience in the same direction. And I've been there. Where I'm over here and I'm going, how in the world did I get from over there all the way over here? Disconnected from their life source. The third thing, he says, they're desensitized from morality. Verse 19, desensitized from morality. They become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. What Paul is describing here is, I I believe, when when God is not our object of worship, we are going to begin an endless search for his replacement to worship something. If you're a guitar player in the house, you would know this. Um, when you're, if you haven't played guitar in a while, what happens? You pick it up, you start to press on the strings, and your fingers, they're so sensitive, and it starts to cut into your fingers. Ow! And eventually, though, as you continue to riff, right, it, the calluses on your fingers start to build up, and now I can finally shred like I used to. I'm back, baby. Justin Hendricks. And as we build up those calluses, now, and in that case, it's good, right? As, as the, my fingers deaden, I can actually play the guitar. But the calluses of our heart are not good, and they lead to death and destruction. We are not playing a game, brothers and sisters. Maybe you remember the, the, the first time you did something um, that felt really, really good. The sip of something, the hit of something, the image that you looked at, the experience you had, the relationship you stepped into. That scene that we're hoping will come up, And then we kind of skip to the chase and just start looking at YouTube videos. Maybe they're pretty innocent at first, but it gets worse and worse. And now we're going to put ourselves into social media spaces where we know that certain kind of images will get us. And and, and then we start to move more into pornography. And and then then many people blow right past that line and it goes into some deep, dark, dehumanizing spaces. I've seen it. And where does this leave us? Paul said it leaves us just like our idols. Idols who cannot please God, who are deaf 
and dumb, unable to do anything profitable, beneficial, good. And I've been there. I've been stuck in the sin cycle. And, and, I, and I find my place, myself in a place where I don't have the wisdom to know how to get out of this thing. I don't have the power to, like, will myself out of it. And oftentimes, if I'm honest, I don't even have the sensitivity to care to move away from it. So how do we change our ways? How do we get out of the death and darkness of the Gentiles living apart from Christ? Well, it gets better. The second part, we see the way that we can change, the outfit change. First time I ever played basketball was in third grade. Played for the K-Beach Elementary Orange Team. I don't know why that's funny. We were so bad, I don't even have a team picture. My, my mom was like, I couldn't find one. I think she, my mom was ashamed of us. And so all we found was the next year, fourth grade, which is funny enough, my head coach from that is actually here, Bill Severson, in the back. He's here today. Uh, we were a little bit better, all because of Coach Severson. Uh, but, man, we, like, this was back, third grade, we were, this is back when they kept score, and it wasn't just participation trophies. So when we played, like, Nick's readout red team, they would beat us, like, 104 to 12. Like, many team members are still in therapy to this day, Right? And then we would play Chet and Sean and Sean, Soldat and a blue team, and we'd lose by like 80 points or whatever it was. We were awful, okay? Now, this was 1992, 93. This is the heyday of Michael Jordan's Bulls. Imagine Coach Phil Jackson walking up to me after our latest trouncing and say, here, son, I want you to put this jersey on. You're playing for us now. You're a bull." And you're going to start winning championships with us. You're going to start playing like Mike. And you're going to start playing with Mike. And I look at him like, no way. But I'm so bad, right? (laughs) What am I doing on this team? And Phil says, I have gone from a team uh, that couldn't even beat other third graders to now being a part of the greatest team on earth. Now, I have a choice. I have a choice. I can believe, Phil, that I am a bull now, that I can play that way now, or I can find it, wait for it, unbelievable. I mean, okay, it was bad. It was bad. In righteousness and purity of the truth, and that now I can be like Christ. Now, if you were here with us last week to celebrate these baptisms, this is what this was all about, that our old self, was buried in the tomb with Christ. And we were raised to a whole new way of living. And what Romans 6 says is, guys, we've got to believe this. This is a step of faith. Romans 6.11 says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider means to reckon, to believe, to count this as true. That your old self is dead and gone and a new way of living in Christ Jesus has come. And that's walking by, by, by sight is to say, no, I'm still in that old person. But to trust that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, that's an act of faith. That's not just positive thinking. That's not just some name it and claim it stuff. This is believing the truth of what God says about Jesus and who we are now in him. And maybe, maybe you are facing that today where you go, man, I don't know if I could ever actually make real life change. I don't know if I could ever actually live differently. 
in this passage, we're invited to believe that we now are something new. We've got a jersey on that allows us to dunk and win championships. And Paul says, remember, you've been told to take off the old self and to put on the new. This is actually what's true of us in Christ. I was thinking about this as, as an analogy. Remember, remember Lazarus, in the story of Lazarus, when he's called out of the grave, he's been there for four days. And Jesus calls Lazarus to come out of the tomb. He's raised him from the dead. And can you imagine Lazarus stepping out and seeing Jesus? Like, here's Jesus standing in front of him. Here's Mary and Martha, his sisters. And he goes, nah, I'm good. And he goes, walks back into the tomb. No. He's going to sit down to supper with his family and friends and live his new life given to him by Jesus. He's going to drink wine. It's in the Bible. He's going to eat gluten. It's in the Bible. (laughs) And I know which one's more evil than most of you. Why would you ever put those nasty grave clothes back on? Why would you ever go back into the stinky, suffocating darkness and death of the tomb? Brothers and sisters, we have been raised from the dead. (laughs) Like Paul says, don't go back into the tomb. Don't go put those old grave clothes back on, you weirdo. Like you have a new life. Walk. Followed thee. As we're about to sing at the end of the service. You called my name. And I ran out of that grave. We follow Jesus out of the tomb by faith. And just like when Phil said, dunk the ball. I can say, Phil, I'm a third grade white boy. Do I believe or do I not? When Jesus says, dunk the ball, white boy, I can say, yes, Lord. (laughs) We're about to look at at a list of new things, new ways that we're called to walk in. And and when we see this new way, this new life, we're going to see things that on our own we could never do, right? When, When he says, when Jesus says, come out of that grave, take off the grave clothes, and live this new way. He's going to say, I want you to love dunk by faith. I want you to forgive dunk by faith. You don't think you can forgive that person? You don't think you can release that anger and bitterness? You don't think you can actually start to be generous and care about other people more than yourself? I'm telling you, this is who you are now in Christ. And it's up to us to believe it and to walk in it or to crawl back into the tomb. So what does it look like to follow Jesus in this new self, in this new outfit? Let's look at what the new way looks like out of this outfit change. And what I love here is Paul doesn't just give us the negative. He gives us the positive. The Christian life is not just about a list of don'ts. It's a whole new, better, more flourishing, loving way of living. So he, he highlights five things to put off and then to put on. So the put off, first of all, the grave clothes of lying. The grave clothes of lying. Verse 25, therefore put away lying. Now we might feel like we're back in preschool on this one. Do we lie, Johnny? No, Miss Becky. It might seem like an obvious one, right? But then why do we do it all the time? Now, we're sneaky, right? But what we do is we falsely represent ourselves in order to look good, gain an advantage, right? Put ourselves in a better light. Brian Chappell named a few that we, we do. We falsely represent our work. This is especially easy in the, in the Internet age, whether you're at school, how much easier it is to cheat. Plagiarism is a huge thing right now, claiming somebody else's work is your own. Time sheets, where we lie about how much work we've actually put in. Tax returns. (laughs) 
Facebook Marketplace? Yeah, it's gently used. Okay. And Paul says, Take, that's the old way. That's the tomb way. He says, put on the jersey of truth speaking. He says, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Because, because, and here's why, because we are members of one another. He says, we're this new body of Christ. And we're not going to be able to heal. We're not going to be able to grow if we're not being real with each other. If we keep putting on this facade of what we actually think and actually feel or are actually doing, then we can't help each other grow. He says, let's step into the light. But that will involve painful exposure of the deeds of darkness. Second thing, he says, put off the grave clothes of sinful anger. Sinful anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is huge. Notice what he said, be angry and do not sin. Anger is not a sin in and of itself. It's an emotion. God has emotion. God gets angry in the Bible. We, we see stories. But like any emotion, it's sinful when we let it control us. And this is where he goes with it. He says, don't give the devil an opportunity. When we're not walking controlled by the spirit and his will, that's a heyday for the devil to step in and and grab the the controls. And this lack of control over our anger can can be seen in how long we let it play out, how long we let it continue. And that's why he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, notice here again, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some people take this to interpret, okay, I've got a beef with my spouse or a friend, and we've got to figure it out before the sun goes down. Now, in Alaska in the winter, (laughs) I'm not even home from work, right? Like, sweetheart, like, give me a second. It doesn't say, listen, imagine living that out. Like, if you have this beef, and it's like 2 a.m., and you still haven't figured it out yet, Like, there's nothing productive coming from a couple squabbling at 2 a.m., right? Go to bed. Go to bed. What it says here is don't let the – it doesn't say don't let the sun go down on your dispute. It says do not let the sun go down on your anger. I've got to make the decision in my own heart to let it go, to forgive. And and that's up to me, right? Right? Actually, Psalm 4, he's quoting, the the verse in bold there is a quote from Psalm 4. And Psalm 4, verse 4, it it, it goes the rest of the way here. It says, be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you are on your bed and be silent. So if I'm I'm harboring angerness toward another, angerness, anger towards another, I got to slow down. I got to be slow to speak and quick to listen and say, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? Where is this emotion coming from? Why am I reacting to this person? I've got to do some heart work before the Lord and work on some forgiveness. That's, that's up to me. But instead, what do we do? He says, put on the jersey of controlled anger. Be angry and do not sin. In, in Psalm 4, David is rightfully angry. People have sinned against him. They've wronged him. But look at where he channels that anger. Verse 1, answer me when I call God. It's done at the stores that employers actually budget in assuming that their um, their employees are going to be stealing from them, and that the the government assumes that that we have hidden resources and taxes us accordingly. Now, that might bring up some bitterness on your part. We can pray through that. But um, we we see stealing happening all the time. And instead, what Paul says is put on the the, um, jersey of giving, of giving. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. The teaching here from Paul is, is the positive is we need to become people who give. Work to have, but not for yourself to accumulate, but to give it away in generosity. This goes against what he said the old Gentile way where we're always desiring more and more and more. 
says, in Christ, to live in reality, says, I have all I need in him, so I'm free to give it away. So ask yourself, is that how I approach others? Do I come with a taking mentality, what I can get from them? Or do I come with a mentality that says, man, how can I love this person? How can I serve this person? How can I be generous to this person? Number four, put off the grave clothes of tearing down. Verse 29, no foul language should come from your mouth. This word foul, it means rotten or putrefied, that's a good word, or corrupted. These are words, language that decays, it tears down, it erodes. And we've all had that happen to us, right? You can get an ocean of compliments. Like I can come off this stage and I can get a thousand people, or like Justin, you're our favorite preacher. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Uh, then one person, one person says something negative, And that's the thing that sits in me, right? That's the thing that starts to erode and tear down. And what he says here is do not let one word that tears down come out of your mouth. Instead, he says, put on the jersey of building up. So, so what should come out of our mouths? Now, what he's going to show us here is not, well, here's the official cuss word list, and you've got to kind of stay off of that one and it'll be okay, right? It's not how much can I get away with, what can't I say. Here's the litmus test. Verse 29, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. The question isn't what words are okay to say or not. The question is, is what's coming out of my mouth actually going to encourage that person? Is it actually going to point them to Jesus? Is it going to be grace? Is it going to be balm? Now, sometimes grace is saying something hard, right? That is, this, we're not talking about ear tickling. Sometimes we're having to say a hard word, but the object is to build that person up and encourage them. That's the only reason we should open our mouths, Paul says. Now, verse 30, and kind of an aside here, he says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. This word sealed, then he moves on to the last one, put off the grave clothes of being against each other, of being against each other. I know in my life when someone wrongs me, I can put on justice boy cape and it's... I am here to make all wrongs right. And now I'm against that person. And it's my job to even the score, to extract revenge in the name of justice. And what happens is I start to become against them in all of my faculties. Let's look at the list of things he says to put off. Let all bitterness, that's my thoughts toward them. My anger and wrath, this is the emotion that I feel toward them. Shouting, these are words that I speak or shout at them. And slander, the things that I say about them when they're not even in the room, as I'm throwing shade and tearing them down to make myself look better, and be removed from you along with all malice. The word malice means ill will or a desire to injure. At the the heart of this is the heart of this, that we desire bad things for that person. Now, what he says is, it's so easy for us to forget, guys, that the battle is not against flesh and blood Like that we are called, we are not called to be against any other person. They are not the enemy. They are image bearers of God that he loves. And so what do we put on toward that person instead? We put on being for the other. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Again, let it go and be compassionate. Compassionate, suffer with is what that word means. And so here's the call. What this doesn't say is we, that, that the consequences of sin are removed. 
When someone does evil against us, there are consequences for our sin. But what gets removed here is the malice in my own heart, that I don't rejoice over suffering. Because remember, it's anger, God's wrath for every sin that I will ever commit and have ever committed. The reason I don't have to make them pay for it is the same reason that I don't have to pay for it. Because Jesus paid it all. And I can forgive because I've been forgiven. So why this way? Like Why this way? Why? He gives us a list of things that we're supposed to live in now. Put on this. Put on that. Why? Like is God just like making up arbitrary standards? Is he just playing like sin dartboard and it's like, don't steal. Sure. Right? Don't. Why? Why not? Right? Is he just making things up? No. As we look through this list, I, what I see is a portrait of our God. This is who our God is. Like you walk through each one of these. God only speaks the truth. There is no lie in him, Titus says. God never loses control of his anger. He gets anger, angry, but he's not given over to it. Like God is a giver and not a taker. Our God is an all-sufficient God. He needs nothing outside of himself, and so he's free to be generous and give in love. That our God only does things that will build us up, even when he disciplines us and it doesn't feel like it. Romans says he's using it all for our good. And God is a kind, compassionate, and forgiving God. This is his favorite way of describing himself, even in the Old Testament. God loved us, and he loved us to the point of death, that he would give up his only son, his own life, and sacrifice and selflessness for us. Guys, this is not just a list of outward moralisms. This is the worship of who our God really is. And what did we say at the outset? When we worship We become what we worship. And this is why, to put a bow on it, at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul says these words. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. As we worship our God, he's the only object of worship that will not consume us in the process. As we, as we worship him, we will actually become like our God. And notice here it says, as dearly loved children... Like, we don't, we don't imitate him so that he will accept, start to accept us as his children. We are his children. The new jersey is on in Christ. And now, as ones who have received that love, we start to worship him and become like him in the process. You remember the, the prostitute in Luke 7 that comes to Jesus? She's crying so hard that her tears are washing Jesus' feet. Then she takes her hair and dries Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she pours out this bottle of perfume that's a year's worth of perfume from that former lifestyle. And when she sees that Jesus, she says, you can just have it all. You have all of me, all of my tear, all of my emotion, everything that I own. It's just all yours, Jesus. And this is for us. When we come to understand the depths of our despair and hopelessness and sin apart from Christ, And then we see the face of love hanging there on the cross. And we see the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We start to behold him. And as we start to worship him for the God that he is and the Christ that he was for us, we will start to become like him. We'll give ourselves to him. And not just to him, but as as we lay ourselves down at his feet. Jesus said, whatever you've done for me, you've done for the least of these. See, we actually start to love other people that same way too. And we stop seeing other people as the enemy to be against and to be fearful of. 
when we start to see the body of Christ as just that, brothers and sisters as a part of the same family to give our lives for. And we start to see the people out of these walls, or maybe some of us in these walls, that are the lost. And we see them the way that Jesus sees them. He came to seek and to save the lost. And then we would start to see people in that exact same way. As we are imitators of God, what's going to happen? We're going to walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And so what do we do? As we look forward to this new life, to believe who God says that we are in Christ, that we can now dunk the ball, that we can do what God has called us to do as those who have been raised from the dead and out of that tomb. We simply believe who we are in Christ. It's an act of faith to say the things that God's calling me to now, I can actually do them because he's put the new jersey on me. And then we behold Jesus. As we start to see the sacrificial love that he has for us, it will change us. And we will start to love others that same way. As we behold that Jesus, we will become like that Jesus. And our life, every square inch, every moment of our days, will start to become like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, taken that step of faith, that today would be that day. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who do know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but have crawled back into the tomb, into the darkness and death. Today would be a day to put their eyes back on Jesus, to change their mind, to change their thinking. And that in that act of repentance, we'd step back into the light. So, Father, we just want to come humbly as those that you've rescued and just say, take all of us, take our perfume. Take our tears, take our hair, take every square inch, all my desires, everything. We just put them at your feet and say, you know the way forward better than me. Be God, be Savior, be Lord, be life to my life. So, Father, as we give ourselves to you, would you transform us so that we could live in a way that shows the world 